Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to today's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. We are happy you're, you're here. My name is Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. I am your co-host. Thank you for joining us. We have a very, I'm going to say prolific guest with us, Lance Growth with Growth 1031 Exchange. I started seeing Lance's content come out maybe uh, two years ago, like in a major way. So we are happy to have uh, Lance with us. Lance is an accommodator uh, with Growth 1031 out of the um, San Diego or LA area, Lance? San Diego, but we're literally opening our offices in LA about uh, second to third quarter of this year. Well, welcome to the show, Lance. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to join us. Appreciate it. No problem. So before we dive into like the world of a 1031 accommodator, tell us just a little bit about yourself, family, yeah. hobbies, interests, you know, kind of what you're up to. Yeah, well, uh, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, spent a lot of time in New York, Flatbush, Brooklyn. Uh, came here to, for law school, went to Thomas Jefferson School of Law, uh, focused in property and tax law. Uh, leaving law school, I kind of jumped straight into the space, uh, found a real big passion with 1031s, given that it really kind of encompasses both my, my field of studies in, in property law and tax law. Uh, uh, then worked, worked with a big company uh, since 2013, uh, did really well, uh, uh, branched off on my own. Uh, outside of work, uh, uh, back in Connecticut, uh, I was state champion boxer. Wow. I have weight 78. Wow. Grew up and um, uh, yeah, kind of keep those same disciplines and rules and apply it to business. Well, that's good. Well, thank you so much. I'd, I'd like to ask you to walk us through, first off, um, rules for identification. I know there's a couple different um, kind of guidelines within the safe harbor. Safe harbor meaning when you're in inside the lines, the government looks favorably on the, on that uh, on that process. There's a three property rule, two hundred percent rule. Um, maybe touch on those and and give us some pointers on um, when it's time to identify. How should we go about identifying our replacement properties? Yeah, no problem. Well, identification is actually easier than most people think, uh, but it's, it's just the only issue with uh, identification, especially here in Southern California, is that there's an inventory issue, meaning people have uh, uh, difficulty finding properties. Uh, you just have to think of one simple thing. As soon as escrow closes, both timelines kick in. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the 45-day rule and 180-day rule starts literally as soon as escrow closes. And that's because the person's name uh, is removed from title. So I always tell people, just look at, um, uh, uh, look at a 1031 literally as a tax shelter. So if your name is on title, consider yourself inside a house. Uh, if you go outside a house and it's raining, consider the rain taxes. Uh, the 1031 literally shelters you from the rain taxes. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you step outside the house, that shelter gives you 45 days to identify a new property and 180 days to get back into a new house. So literally look at it as, as such. Now, the way the two, the main ways people identify is basically a three property rule. There's two rules, three property and a 200%. But the three properties by far, it's most commonly used. It's just real simple. You have three options. 
So you're limited in your options, but you're not limited in your valuation. Because one big rule in a 1031 exchange is you have to own as much real estate as you sold for. And I always tell people, you have to look at it as the government's allowing you just to change the nature of your investment. So if you sell for 500,000, you have to own at least 500,000 or greater to defer all of your capital gains tax. And the most commonly used one is the, the way to do that is the three property rule. So three property rule is just simple. You have three, three options, no matter how expensive, just make sure it's of equal grade in value. So if you sell for 500, you can identify one property, 200, another property, 300, another property, whatever you want, just as long as you uh, get over that threshold of 500 since you own 500. But a lot so, of- So can someone, let, let's say they own an investment property, downtown San Diego, mm-hmm. 22nd floor, a penthouse, beautiful, you know, for whatever reason, it's a rental, right? Let's just yep. go, go on this extreme example. Um, Dip our toe into like kind. Um, if they want to sell that investment property, what is a like kind? Do they need to buy another penthouse? Do they need to buy another condo? Yep. What what so what qualifies as a, as a like kind property? Uh, what qualifies as a like kind property is basically any property that you utilize for business or investment. So that same condo, if they lived in that condo, is considered a primary residence. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't count. But like the example you gave, they have the condo, except that they're renting it out, meaning they're gaining income from it. That means they're utilizing that piece of real estate for business or investment. And when they're exchanging into like kind, they have to invest into a property that's like kind in terms of the same intent, business or investment. So they could go into a residential home in the suburbs. As long as they don't live in there, they rent it out. They gain income from it. They could get a plot of raw land, as long as same intent, they got it for business or investment. They can get an office space, multi-unit, six-unit complex, just as long as the property is utilized for a like kind in terms of intent, business or investment. Could they buy a farm in Oklahoma? Absolutely. 1031 is a federal guideline, so they can sell in one state and move to the other. Could they buy, now, could they buy water rights? Yep, mineral rights, water rights, even air rights. So there's a... So the, you know, I think most people think of real estate as, okay, here's the ground. I can build on it. Mm -hmm. Part of uh, real estate is mineral rights, water rights, air rights. So, so they can sell an investment property and buy air rights in San Diego. Yeah. We actually have uh, a guy who constantly helps a lot of clients. His name's Dirk Todd out of Texas. He sells clients uh, rights to oil mineral rights yeah so when they sell uh especially if they they uh you know they fall short like i said they 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 sell for 500 they have to own for 500 yeah. so let's say they sell for 500 but they own they only found a property for 400 they could put that other hundred thousand with dirt and just get 100 grand worth of oil rights yeah so what what are some are there any misconceptions your clients have when they come to you with the three property rule what, what are maybe some hurdles that uh, they need to get over um, in terms of uh, their, their, uh, intent, their intent to identify? Yeah, well, some of the biggest misconceptions is when do you identify? And it's just really simple. You identify it. Uh, your clock for the 45-day rule starts ticking at the close of escrow. Mm-hmm. So some people call me and they're like, hey, I'm about to list my property. Do I need to identify now? Like, you don't have to. You can. Uh, but uh, at the close of escrow is when you have 45 days to 
identify. So that's probably the biggest one. And uh, the second biggest one is just people's um, inability to actually utilize all three options. Because people sell a piece of property, they find a property they absolutely love, and they get dead set, like, I'm going to have this. So they identify, and they start, you know, going to escrow, and they open, they, they, they start doing their inspections, and then it's day 100, and then property falls out of escrow. And when they, they didn't use plan B or plan C, they didn't use the, you know, the two other options they had. So we always tell people use all three, have a plan B, have a plan C, because too often things fall out of escrow. And after day 45, there's no other option. You can only acquire the property you identified. And what's the process of identifying? Do they, can they send you a text message? Do they need to in writing. register that identification somewhere in, in a national database or something? It has to be in writing and unambiguous. They basically have to send me a piece of paper with a property address, uh, the price, and uh, they sign it. So what we do as soon as escrow closes, we give clients what's called a replacement identification form. It literally just has property address, price, APN number, sign. And as soon as they send that, identification satisfied. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, talk to us about the 200% rule. Most people don't utilize this, but what is it just, just for context? Uh, context. Uh, uh, yeah. The 200% rule is really simple just for if you're, uh, if three options isn't enough. Like, I don't want to just plan B and C. Like, I want plan B, C, A, D. Uh, <laughs> under the 200% rule, an individual can identify as many properties as they want provided that the aggregated sum doesn't exceed 200% of your initial sales price. And what that simply means is if you're selling for 1 million, you can identify as many properties as you want. But when I total the price of the properties up together, it can't exceed 2 million. Because if you sold for 2 million, two, uh, if you sold for 1 million, 2 million is 200% 1 million. Yeah. So three property rule, you're limited in your options, but not in your valuation. 200% rule, you're not limited in your options, but you're limited in your valuation. And do you have to close on all of it or you just have to close on your million? No, you just have to, if you sold for a million, you just have to close in a million. And if you fall short, you're not disqualified. So if you sold for a million and you only you know, identify 900,000, 900,000 would be completely tax deferred. The 100,000 you fall short would be taxable. So it's a partial exchange. Yeah, yeah. So in, so the, okay, so let's take the million dollar example. They sell an investment property for a million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. They're, let's say they want to identify $3 million properties. They could do that. Yeah. Or so, they could do the 200% rule and identify as many properties as they want worth $2 million. Yeah. Up to $2 million in total. Up to $2 million. Yeah. And so what, what type of, of exchangers in your experience is doing the 200% rule versus the, 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 the three property rule? Oh, those are the exchangers who sell out of California and they go to smaller cities like Austin or, or um, uh, South Florida, South side Chicago. You know, they go to South, California is a pretty expensive state. Uh, so they'll sell from California and they'll go buy, you know, multiple smaller properties in different um, uh, 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 I wouldn't say lower income, but you know, uh, with a smaller metropolitan area. Got it. Got it. And are they, 
are they looking for residential to residential? Are they are they looking to cross into industrial, into commercial, or is it just kind of all over the place? Good return on investments, no matter <laughs> what, no matter what people are doing. Uh, people look at it as real estate; it's just an asset, and they're looking for their asset to make money for them, no matter what state it's in, no matter what you know uh, form the assets in. You know, I always tell people. It's, even, it's better to keep your money in real estate than it is to keep it in a bank. It's in the bank is subject to inflation. Real estate, you know, um, outside of 2008, which is an anomaly in and of itself, it's always been, you know, an appreciating asset. So you know, they're just looking for their dollars to grow for them. Well, good. Well, what else? What else is is interesting to you about being an accommodator? Do you? You you uh, have any cool case studies? Any any identification stories you'd like to share? The cool thing about being an accommodator is I'm involved in real estate and I don't have to buy or sell property, which is great. <laughs> Some of these guys they're just pushing clients to sell, 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 and you know because they'll get their commission three percent, five percent, six percent, and at the point of closing, so many laws get triggered and. Nobody really has a conversation about it with them, with them, especially syndicators, investors, real estate, real estate agents. Uh, the focus is always on the profit, the profit, the profit. Nobody has a conversation about the taxable events. Like if you buy a piece of property 100 years ago, not 100 years, 10 years ago for 100,000, and you sell it today for a million, it's 900 in profit. A real estate agent will come up to you and say, hey, you should sell. The market is great. He's excited. He's going to get 3% of the whole million. You're excited thinking you're going to get 900,000. But in California, between state tax, federal tax, and your depreciation recapture tax, that 900,000 is going to have to get a big bite of about 320,000 you're going to have to pay in taxes. Wow. So it's a real, it's uh, yeah, cool thing about me. Uh, agents, brokers, they're you know coming to clients to sell their property to take these fees. I get to just give money to clients <laughs> like here's 300 grand back uh you're welcome <laughs> like the the doors you're opening the doors you're opening the agent doesn't open a door like that yeah most agents don't have the conversation about real estate and tax law so we we pride ourselves on being uh like you said you see our marketing like we're really aggressive in getting this information out there like hey Make sure if somebody's selling a house, make sure as soon as they open escrow, they call their exchange accommodator to start giving the, the documents to the escrow to shelter them from taxes. We tell them, hey, and it was one thing to tell a client, hey, I'm the best real estate agent ever. I can help you sell your house. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm a great real estate agent. By the way, I can help you sell your house and I can help you keep 33% of your profit. When, so on your website, you have a free consultation which you offer, correct? Yes, we do. What's one of the first uh, couple questions you're asking in that in that consultation? Oh, first we ask them have they identified their replacement property? Do you know what they're looking looking to go into? Because, like I said, it's an inventory issue. Most exchanges are failing because of the inability to identify. Second, we ask them how much debt is on the property, so we know what's their purchase power. Because you have somebody sold the property for five hundred thousand, yet they had uh, pay off two hundred fifty thousand in debt. At the closing, they're only getting 250 back. 
And, you know, they think, oh, that's all I got to do. So no, it's equal or greater to your net sales price, meaning everything after your non-recurring closing costs. Escort fees, title fees get subtracted. But uh, you, if you sold for 500000 if you subtract all those little fees, you're at like 450 you need to purchase at 450 So we have to make sure they know either you have to go and get a new loan, borrow money from a friend, go into your reserves, whatever you have to do. You got to make sure you meet that threshold. And uh, lastly, the main thing we ask them is, well, what stage of the process are they? Is the property listed, not listed, or in escrow? And if the property is in escrow, that's when we tell clients, like, we, no matter what, we have to we, we would like to step in now because if escrow closes and we're not involved, it's a taxable event. Yeah. Well, good. Well, Lance, thank you so much for taking a few minutes uh, of your day to join us on the podcast. Uh, I also noticed on your website, you do a lot of um, workshops. So share with us how someone can contact you if they would like to contact you and then just take a few sentences on what are those workshops what are the nature of the workshops and who's invited oh simple anybody wants to contact us one they can go to our website growth1031.com two they can call our phone number which is very simple 619-991-1031 Mm-hmm. Three, if they want to go to our workshops, they can you know, punch in uh, uh, Growth 1031 and Eventbrite. They can go straight to our website. They can attend. And each one of our workshops are built simple. First half an hour, it's really just socializing. We provide food or we provide wine. We want people with deals to meet investors looking for deals. Like we always say, we try to connect as many clients looking for investment property to guys with off-market deals so that they can satisfy their 45-day rule because that's all we care about. Uh, Second, we invite our clients and we invite real estate agents and investors. And it is just educational uh, uh, forum where we're like, hey, this is a 1031. This is when you start. Call us as soon as you open escrow. This is how, uh, what happens after escrow closes. This is a 45-day rule. This is uh, the 180-day rule. This is what happens when you actually start your phase two of the process. So we educate them, uh, one, on what is a 1031. We educate them on what happens while they're in the process. We let them know what to expect. And, uh, and the biggest thing for us also, it's about us connecting uh, clients to investors because it really is people are just aren't finding properties because they're just not in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you audience for joining us today. This has been uh, the commercial connection podcast with Lance growth. If you have questions about anything around identification, call Lance, call him, ask him questions, pick his brain. He can help. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, Have a great day.